Warning, today's episode will deal not only with vomit, but child abuse and eating disorders as well. If you feel like you cannot handle this content, please click away now. Hi everyone, welcome to After Dark Analysis. Today is going to be another part to our viewer requested gross out series. We are going to be looking at vomit gore. Throughout the history of the genre, no scene is probably more notable than the first entry, which is 1973 with The Exorcist. The scene plays out with the priest trying to exorcise Regan. Regan tells him that she can give a message to his deceased mother, who she's claiming is in hell. When the priest pushes her for a name, because he's like, well, if you've spoke to her, you must know her maiden name. Regan decides to, instead of answering, projectile vomit all over the priest with something that looks like split pea soup. While by today's standard, this might be very hokey and dated, for 1973, it was incredibly extreme, especially for a movie being released in theaters via traditional meat. Because while I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm going to cover every single time somebody vomited in a horror movie, I'm going to stick to the notable ones. Our next really notable entry doesn't come until 1999 with the film Audition. For those that may be unfamiliar with this story, it's about a widower who holds a fake casting call for a part to meet women. Him and his friends set it up. They kind of have the girls coming in and out, interview them. They think they're getting a part when in actuality he's trying to vet them to see who his next girlfriend could be. He becomes very interested in one young woman and starts to pursue her. And this film plays out almost as a romantic comedy for the bulk of it. The true horror elements of this do not play in till the very end, last 15-20 minutes. I'm not going to spoil everything, but I'm going to have to spoil one thing. So timestamp will be in the description if you want to skip over it. All throughout the film, we've seen this girl in her apartment, and then there's a bag that keeps moving behind her that they've teased out quite a bit. Well, when her would-be suitor is in her apartment, he discovers the contents of the bag are a severely mutilated man. His tongue is missing, fingers are missing, both of his feet are missing. With being presented with such a horrific sight, the man, understandably, is taken aback and covers his mouth like he wants to get sick, but doesn't. The problem is we hear retching still, even though this man didn't get sick. We realize very quickly it's actually behind him with the girl. She gets sick into a bowl and then serves it to the mutilated man. To compound upon the already controversial moment in this film, there is a rumor that the actress was so method that she actually did get sick. But it was not served to the actor. Even though she may have legitimately done that, there was a replacement in between what the guy had was not what came out of her. This brings us to 2005 with the film Feed. This movie revolves around a cybercrime investigator who's trying to track a man suspected of force-feeding women to death. This film is a play on a very real-world thing of men that romanticize heavier-set women. And when I say heavier-set women, I mean obese to the point where they are completely immobile. They're typically referred to as feeders, but the twist here, as the summary stated, is they're actually feeding these women intentionally to death. So instead of these guys romanticizing a larger woman, they're actually romanticizing and taking bets on when she's going to die due to the overfeeding. And as anyone who's ever eaten past their capacity or just a little too much can tell you, it's totally normal to feel a little nauseous. So what happens here is there's a scene where he attempts to give her a feeding tube so he can feed her faster. She isn't ready for the feeding tube. She really doesn't want it, so she fights against it a little bit. This activates her gag reflex, and she gets sick. He pulls it out, 
Eventually, the investigator comes to the home where this is happening, and he finds the house just littered with remnants of rotting food. And when he's taken aback by that, because I'm sure the stench was fairly powerful considering it was all over, he falls back a bit, finds he's fallen on a rotting corpse, and then gets sick. Completely understandably so. A scene like this is much more often how we see vomit in most horror movies. It's somebody reacting to something that's sickening and disgusting, and most normal human beings would react that way. In 2009, we have Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. This movie revolves around a loan officer named Christine, who evicts an old woman from her home. So this old woman decides to get even. She's going to curse her. The rest of the film revolves around Christine not only trying to save her soul from damnation, but also to avoid the lamia that is tormenting her due to the curse. The first instance is Christine is sleeping and has a dream just due to the stress and guilt that this old woman's on top of her and she throws up on her face a mixture of maggots, dirt, and there might be some blood in there it looks like. She wakes up obviously startled but realizes very quickly it was a dream and her boyfriend comforts her. The next time is she goes to the old woman's home to attempt to make amends and figure out how to get the curse lifted. She then finds out that the old woman is dead, probably in the worst way possible. She stumbles back onto the casket, the casket tips over, the body falls on top of Christine, oozing out a greenish liquid that looks like it might be some type of embalming fluid, right again onto Christine's face. Now Dragon to Hell has a lot of reasons for utilizing that particular image but I can't really get into that here. That's pretty much an entire other episode in itself if you guys are interested in that. This next film I'm gonna discuss, I consider more as a transitional film between the mainstream movies we've been talking about that just so have to have scenes with vomit in them and actual vomit gore as a genre itself. It's 2006's Taxidermia. This movie essentially tells the story of three different generations of men and it breaks it up almost as an anthology. There's some crossover here and there, but for the most part, they're independent stories. The one I'd like to focus on is the second one, which is the story of a competitive eater. Now, forgive me, I do not understand competitive eating culture, especially since this movie is billed from Hungary, Austria, and France. Specifically, the competitive eater is representing Hungary. Yeah, I know, irony. So not only is this looking at eating competitions, it's looking at foreign eating competitions in a totally different time period. So really hard for me to fact check. Between the first and second round, we see all the men go back to vomit almost in a trough. Think along the lines of a vomitorium. And this theme continues throughout his story because he's a competitive eater, so he purges so he can eat more food. Also, as we've just addressed, eating too much can make you feel very, very sick. And this guy is literally doing it not only to show his national pride, but as a living. So yeah, it happens a decent amount. The reason I referred to Taxidermia as a transitional film is because also in 2006, we got the first legitimate vomit gore entry into the genre. And it is considered the film that started the entire thing as part of the trilogy that comprises most of the genre, which is Slaughtered Vomit Dolls. Slaughtered Vomit Dolls describes itself as a gruesome tapestry of psychological manifestations of a 19-year-old bulimic runaway stripper turned prostitute as she descends into a hellish pit of satanic nightmares and hallucinations. From the summary alone, it's pretty obvious where the vomit plays in on this one, the girl's bulimic. Not only is she bulimic, but she also likes to drink, specifically on an empty stomach. So that again leads to a lot of the sickness. 
The girl we follow through all three films is named Angela Aberdeen. She's also known as Blisters. We typically begin these movies and they're heavily spliced in throughout the franchise of this home video of a blonde girl, typically very distorted. It's got this very home movie feel and it looks like we're peeking into somebody's childhood. This plays in because one of the first times we see an adult Angela, she is on the floor of a bathroom, clearly gotten sick on herself, almost completely naked. She's only in a bra and I think the back's unhooked, so that's barely even on. She keeps asking the camera operator to help her up, but they won't, so she very slowly and clumsily gets herself up. So we're looking at this heavily distorted childhood and then cutting to the incredibly distorted an abnormal adult that's come of it. The ending, which I will not spoil here in case anybody is interested in watching this series, hammers that point home completely. The next entry into the franchise came in 2008 with Regurgitated Sacrifice. We're still following Angela Aberdeen for the most part, but now we've had this addition of formerly conjoined twins that represent the Angels of Death played by the Solska sisters. They also have a liking to make other people forcibly vomit. There's a lot of prostitutes in here that they make get sick. Because while yes, the vomiting in this film originally was the byproduct of Angela's eating disorder, you can still say it was somewhat self-imposed as in she is doing this to herself. While yes, it's a much more complex issue with that, taking it at its nuts and bolts, that is what she is doing. In this one, we have people forcibly doing that, which will play in heavily for the third. In 2010, with Slow Torture Puke Chamber is where we get a lot more of Blister's backstory. This is where she talks about the abuse that she went through. The film even opens with several disclaimers, saying that the actress did this of her own volition. She approached him and became friends with Lucifer Valentine and wanted to do this part because the character of Angela aka Blisters does change actresses throughout the franchise. She also goes so far as to point out they had a safe word on set, so if she ever felt things were going too far or became uncomfortable, she could use it and they would stop filming. She also talks about how her bulimia developed almost as a defense mechanism against her father's sexual abuse because once she started to have the physique of a 10-year-old boy, he was less interested. While it may sound strange to some people, it's actually a legitimate thing. Many abuse survivors either lose or gain a lot of weight. The losing typically alters their physique enough with women to hopefully keep the attacker away by resembling a prepubescent boy like Blisters talks about. With both genders though, it can also be a form of control. Of, I can't escape this abuse, especially since it's coming from a parent or a relative that I can't get away from. So they do this to exercise some form of control in their lives. There is also something known as gaining defensive weight, where somebody that has been attacked will gain more weight because they believe the weight gain will make them unattractive to potential attackers. This once again plays into the control element because they're finding comfort in food, they're controlling what they intake and what they don't intake. Well, unfortunately, the issues of sexual assault, sexual abuse, and eating disorders are not that cut and dry. These are things that people have done. They're documented. They are very much real. And this series shows the very grisly byproduct of that. We also see this destruction of the physical form with Henry. 
While Henry has been throughout the entire franchise, the scene that I think is most significant with the character comes at the end of Slow Torture Puke Chamber. He dismembers and consumes a fetus and forces himself to vomit with appendages from said fetus. Now, if you've held out this long in the video, first off, thank you. Second off, you're probably wondering why I just spent a good chunk of time talking about people throwing up. Well, a good chunk of that was laying the groundwork for these last three films. While many consider them just full-on disgusting, and that's understandable, it makes perfect sense why people would be offended at people dismembering fetuses, all of the vomiting, there is a lot of urination in this as well. But there are also a lot of references to vomiting until there's only bile and blood coming out. Well, as anybody with a basic idea of biology can tell you, you can't get rid of an entire meal no matter what orifice you attempt to put it through, to put it politely. When you get to that stage where it, your body can't physically muster anything else aside from the fluids it already creates, it's pretty obvious that you're feeling empty at that point. And that's what this is, is showing how empty and hollow some of these things can be and how some people just want to feel empty because they know no other way of living or coping and most of these people were put through things they shouldn't have been to begin with. While it's very rare in this franchise for Angela or Blisters to consider herself a victim, she's reframed most of the things that happened to her as a positive thing. She even refers to her father's abuse in the last one of her father had so much pain he had to put it inside of her and he did it through obvious means, even making not-so-veiled references to an electric complex seen through disputes with her and her mother and some jealousy she felt towards her mother. Because to clarify, yes, the mother did know and wasn't necessarily doing anything to stop it and blamed the abuse on Angela herself. Now, I'll admit full well that these last three films may be too extreme for some people. Some of the films from the beginning might be too extreme for some people. And the reason for that is we all have a very guttural, sorry for the pun, response to people getting sick. Reason being, from an evolutionary standpoint, we have a very ingrained response to somebody else getting sick. Let's say theoretically for a moment that we all sat down to dinner, we all had the same thing in terms of food, beverage, all of that, and one of us started becoming sick immediately everybody else would be turned off from the food, not only because is it gross to watch, it smells bad, the noises are terrible, but it's very safe for us to assume that there's something wrong with the food or the drink, and that is something we need for survival. Back in the caveman days, if we saw somebody drop dead from eating something or doing something, we didn't do that because clearly that's going to kill us. Very base level things like this are why we've continued to survive. And while many may view it as crass and tasteless, appealing to that does make a very solid and valid point. Looking at something as horrible and despicable as rape, abuse, and abuse especially towards a child, it makes sense for something that we abhor to our very core on that, or at least most people do, would be represented by something so basic and vile. Especially when you're putting Angela talking about her abuse right up against how much she loves her bulimia because the reason I put a warning at the beginning of this is Angela essentially does love letters to her bulimia. That's because that is her way of coping. She still admits she loves her father 
And again, that's not uncommon with abuse cases. A lot of people try to get the approval or the love of who abused them because that's how they feel like they're going to cope with it and get past it, is if they can just do something right to get this attention, then they'll be okay and they'll stop being abused. And one important thing I feel like I should point out before the comments erupt, yes, I am very much aware that Lucifer Valentine has admitted that he enjoys watching women vomit. That is a thing he likes. So while I get there's gratification there and I get there are people into that, I have a really hard time believing that you'd establish an entire genre just for this one thing. There's videos of that out there. You don't have to go make a feature-length film to get that. Considering the topics that are dealt with and how they're dealt with and the fact that there actually is a plot line kind of shows that this is why it's put under horror and not so much the fetish moniker that some argue this should be under. So what do you think? Do you think Vomitcore is just there to shock? Do you think it's actually dealing with things deeper? Let me know in the comments below. If you like what you're hearing, please hit like, comment, subscribe. If you don't like what you're hearing, please leave me a comment and let me know. And again, if you made it to the end of the video, thank you.